We have come to the conclusion of our study of this chapter uh, this morning, and I've really enjoyed the time that we've spent uh, studying this portion of God's Word together. Hope that it's been helpful to you. Hope that you've learned something. Several topics that we've covered as we've worked our way through the chapter. Um, in verse number two, we have the first type of temptation dealt with in the passage, and that's the trying of your faith. There's another type of temptation in verse 14, being drawn away of your own lust. That first temptation, as is listed in your notes, is a test of your trust. It's what we found as we studied the nature of those trials. It's a test of your trust. The second type of temptation is a test of your love. Because verse number 12 said, those who endure temptation get a crown of life. It's what the Lord has promised to them that love him. So uh, the trial of your faith tests your trust. The drawing away of your own lust, being enticed, that's a test of your love for the Lord. We talked about patience and perfection in verses 3 and 4, praying for wisdom in verses 5, 6, and 7. The double-minded man in verse number 8, the rich and the poor in verses 9 through 11, the nature of temptation in verses 13 through 15, receiving God's word, verses 16 to 21, then last week doing God's word, verses 22 uh, to 25. And the last two verses of the chapter, what we'll read and study together this morning, draw a contrast between vain religion and pure religion. Vain religion and pure religion. Let's read the verses uh, all together out loud. James 1, 26, 27. Let's all read those together. The Bible says, If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. There's a word that occurs three times in these two verses that were, it's actually a little bit odd for us to discuss because we use and speak of the word differently, I think, uh, now, but it's the word religion or religious. We often make a point in our witnessing to say that we are not religious, We often make a point as we're trying to give people the gospel and tell them about Jesus Christ and how they can be saved, that we don't have a religion, we have a relationship. Maybe you've even said that uh, to someone. I certainly have. And what we mean by that is that we are not going through some system or performing some ceremony or following some process. We are not trying to obtain the favor of God for salvation. We are not trying to merit or earn God's favor or uh, eternal life on any level. Our salvation is based solely upon the merits of Jesus Christ. We have not just a system of beliefs or of practices. We have a personal relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ on the basis of of his finished work. We have trusted him and received him. And because of that, we're born again and we're made sons of God. We make this contrast between religion and relationship. We often speak of religion in a negative sense. And and I understand that, but 
When I read the Bible, the Bible uses the term differently. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't draw that contrast in our witnessing based on people's understanding of religion. I mean, doesn't matter what religion, every religion in the world is on one side of the cross where you have to do something for God to accept you. And biblical Christianity is on this other side of the cross where God's, God's acceptance of us is based only upon what Jesus Christ did for us. We get in by virtue of being in Christ. But the word religion is used five times in the word of God. The word religious used twice. So put together, those two words are used seven times in the Bible. And three of those uses are in the two verses that we just read, James 1, 26, and 27. Often the references are to the Jews' religion, Judaism, the Hebrew religion. That's the only religion that God uh, established, but religion basically means a system of faith and or worship. You could have the Jewish religion, the Christian religion, the Mormon religion, the Islamic religion, but by definition, religion includes theology as a system of doctrines or principles, but has more to do with godliness or real piety in practice, consisting in the performance of all known duties to God and our fellow men in obedience to the divine command or from love to God and his law. Religion is the real practical outworking of one's theology, okay? So there is what you say you believe, and then there is the way you live, and in the biblical sense, what we're getting at in James chapter 1 and the other references to this term is the way that you actually live, not what you say you believe, not the theology to which you subscribe, not the denomination on the sign of the church that you attend, but the real outworking of all those things in your daily life, that's what is pointed to as religion. So according to James 1 now, we say in our witnessing, I don't have religion, I have relationship. What the Bible says is the relationship you have with God, it, it actually should manifest itself and that's your religion. You want to have a set of beliefs, but you want that set of beliefs to be reflected in the way that you live. So the question, biblically speaking, is not whether or not you have religion, whether or not you are religious. The question is whether you have a vain religion or a pure religion. That's what we have contrasted in James 1.26. And that's what we can ask ourselves as we read these verses and study these verses. Do I have a vain religion or a pure religion? Vain religion, verse 26. Pure religion, verse 27. And there are three identifying markers given for each of these in the passage. We'll study vain religion. First of all, that's the first point in your outline, vain religion. Verse 26 says, if any man among you seem to be religious, that's marker number one, and bridleth not his tongue, that's marker number two, but deceiveth his own heart, that's marker number three, this man's religion is vain. It's empty. It's pointless. It's meaningless. It's unfruitful. It doesn't profit anyone. It doesn't help anybody. Uh, all it is 
is words. It's not real. Okay, vain religion. Let's review those markers and discuss those briefly. If any man among you, A, seemeth to be religious. If any man among you seemeth to be religious. Now the implication when it says seemeth to be religious is there is something that is external that's different than what is internal. There's something on the outside, but it's not real. It's not genuine. It's pretend. It's the Sunday morning face. It's the Sunday wardrobe. It's the fake plastic Christian smile. It's the behavior that we put on when we're going to church because we want to impress people and we want them to think that we're spiritual. If any man among you seemeth to be religious. This is all about the appearances. This is all about what the people around us think. This is all about the externals. And it's easy to seem to be religious. Right? Cross-reference. Come with me to Matthew chapter number 6. Hold James 1. Don't lose it, but come to Matthew chapter number 6. A vain religion is externally focused. A vain religion is about what people see and what people think. A vain religion uh, is like the Pharisees. I mean, the outside is beautiful, but the inside, nobody would want to drink from that cup. Remember what Jesus said? You guys did a good job with the exterior, but your interior is gross. <laughs> Matthew chapter, that's not exactly what he said, but that's it's basically it. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 1. Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Now, there's nothing wrong with giving alms. That's charity. That's helping people out who are in need. That's encouraged. What's not encouraged is doing it so that others can see you do it. Right? Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. If you do something just to be noticed, the notice you get is the only reward that you get. But if you do something for God because you love him, if you do something for others because you love them, if you do something because it's right, if you do something because you're trying to obey the Bible, God sees that. God takes note of that. God rewards you for that. Now, here's what you can have. Other people noticing how great you are or God rewarding you for service rendered to him, which sounds better. Which is longer lasting? Which ought to be our focus? Okay, Vain religion focuses on, I want people to notice me. I want them to know how great I sing when I get up and sing. You see what I'm saying? Verse number two. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Perhaps this was a little bit of hyperbole. Perhaps it wasn't. I don't know, but I, I kind of like imagining this scene where this hypocrite, this Pharisee is going to do something great. But before they do it, 
they got to make sure everybody notices so they toot their own horn. I think that's where the phrase comes from. They go with a trumpet to make sure that everybody's watching, that everybody knows. I mean, like kids do this somewhat um, innocently. Before they do something, they got to make sure everybody's watching. But sometimes in our, in our spiritual immaturity, we do the same thing. We're a little bit less obvious about it. We're, we try to be somewhat subtle about it. But this is somewhere down in our hearts. Verse number three. When thou doest thine alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. Just, just do it because it's right. Don't, don't worry about it if anybody sees or if anybody knows. God sees and God knows. That thine alms may be in secret. Verse four. And thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and the corners of the streets. That they may be seen of men. Again, it's right to pray. It's good to pray. It's okay to pray publicly. We had some people try to use these verses to tell us we shouldn't street preach. A couple problems. Number one, street preaching and praying are different. And number two, what Jesus is saying is not that you should pray. He's saying that the purpose of your praying shouldn't be so people hear you and see you pray. The purpose of your prayer is not to impress people with how great you can pray, with your wonderful theological language, with your ability to master Elizabethan English and Use the these and the vows as you talk to God. That's not the point. Okay? Don't pray so that people can hear you pray, because if you pray so people hear you pray, then they're hearing you praying is all the reward you get. It's vain. James chapter 1. Verse 6. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So vain religion... It's all about what people see. It's all about what people can notice. It's all about seeming to be religious. And what the Bible says we need to focus on is is the things that people can't see. Our private walk with God. Our secret ministry to other people. If, If you pray in the prayer meeting but you don't pray at home in your closet, you have vain religion. If you give and you serve and you labor when it's noticeable, but you don't give and serve and labor when it's not, you might have vain religion. Okay? Uh, Back to James chapter number one. The second marker of vain religion is interesting. James 1, verse 26, If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue. Bridleth not his tongue. Now, it's interesting that God chose that. I mean, there's all kinds of things that he could have chosen, but he said if you can't restrain and guide and govern and check and curb and control your tongue... Then you've got vain. He didn't say your eyes. He didn't say your ears. He didn't say your feet. He didn't say your hands. He could have said any and all of those things. And there's a point to be made for each of them. But he said, you know what? I'm just going to get to the heart of it. I'm going to go down to the deepest root. If you can't control your tongue, you've got vain religion. Why do you think he chose that? I don't know. Maybe Matthew 12, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. There is no truer, truer indicator 
of what's going on inside than what comes out of your mouth. We don't have time to study it, but in James chapter 3, the Bible says that the tongue is an unruly evil. Every kind of beasts and of birds, right? Uh, you can tame a lion, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. That's the James chapter 3 cross-reference. I think we do have it uh, there in the notes. Proverbs 31, 26, in speaking of the virtuous woman, said, In her tongue is a law of kindness, this great godly woman that is held up as the standard. One of her identifying marks is she's able to speak the right way, say the right things. Her tongue is under control. Why is this interesting? Well, you know, I'm all for standards and convictions, and you know that. I'm all for living by the Bible and figuring out what the Bible says and applying it to your life in every area of life, in the way that you, in the external things, the way that you dress, the way that you conduct yourself, your your entertainment choices, your vocabulary. I'm all for, look, I'm all, girls, I'm all for long skirts and long hair, right? <laughs> You can have a skirt that reaches the floor, but a tongue every bit as long. And the Bible says you've got vain religion. You get the point? It's, it, it's right to have the right standards, and it's right to have the right lifestyle based on the principles of the Bible. But if that's all you have, you can still have vain religion. If, if, if you can control the outside, but you can't control your tongue... You got vain religion. And I've been in church and in ministry long enough. I've seen plenty of examples of this. I've seen the people in the church with the highest standards be the biggest gossips. I've seen the people who participate in the most ministries also destroy the most relationships because they can't control their tongue. You know what they got? They got vain religion. They might have a high level of participation. They might have a high level of separation, but it's possible to have that and vain religion. That All that's not to say that the other is not important. It's just not enough. It's important, but it's not sufficient. You've got to learn to bridle your tongue. You don't have to say everything you think. In fact, Proverbs would say, that if you say everything you think, you're a fool. Right? So let's be careful about our words. Be careful about our speech. Be careful what we say and how we say it. The third indicator, we've got a hurry, of the man with vain religion. Not only does he seem to be religious, not only is he bridled on his tongue, but he deceiveth his own heart. Now, that was just a point of discussion in the context, in uh, in the preceding verses, someone who is self-deceived is someone who hears the word but doesn't do the word. Well, how is that self-deception? It's self-deception because he's the only one who thinks he's spiritual. <laughs> right? Uh, come to Matthew 23 is the cross-reference. Matthew 23. Deceiveth his own heart by hearing but not doing the word. That's vain religion. Matthew 23, verse number 1. Matthew 23, 1. Then spake Jesus to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. 
The Pharisees had the right doctrine. The Pharisees had the right teaching. The Pharisees, I mean, they had so many things right. But do ye not after their works? For they say and do not. The, the Pharisees of Jesus' day were the greatest example of vain religion. They had religion, plenty of it. It was just empty. It was hollow. It wasn't real. And they believed the right things and they taught the right things, but they didn't do the right things. What does James equate that to? Self-deception. Just ask them. They thought they were spiritual. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. I'm so glad I'm not like this heathen publican. But the Lord looks at things so much differently, doesn't he? And I think there's, there's at least a little bit of this in all of us. We want other people to think that we're right with God. We want other people to think that we're dedicated to the Lord. But what we need to replace that with is a real desire to actually truly be spiritual on the inside. We need to replace that with a real desire to actually be godly in, in God's sight, regardless of what people do or don't see. That's vain religion. James chapter 2 is going to go on to discuss this by asking in verse number 13 or verse 14, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he have faith and have not works? Okay, so vain religion is all about what you say you have. Pure religion is about what you actually do. So let's, let's look at the three markers of pure religion with the few minutes that we have left. Vain religion is a man who seems to be religious, bridles not his tongue, deceives his own heart. Pure religion, verse 27, and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction to keep himself unspotted from the world. So the, the first marker, point A, under pure religion is it's before God and the Father. Before God and the Father. Contrast that with vain religion. Seemeth to be religious. It's all about what people see. Pure religion understands that the only thing that matters is what God sees. 1 Samuel 16, 7, a verse so often misused, uh, but it's still true. Man looketh on the outward appearance. God looketh on the heart. It's used to indicate that the outward appearance is not important. It is. Man does look there and we live before men. But ultimately, what we want is for God to see our hearts and our hearts to be pure before him. Pure religion recognizes and acknowledges and remembers that God is always watching. That the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good, that my ultimate aim and desire and objective is to please the Lord. Abraham walked, the Bible says, before the Lord. That is, he acknowledged the presence of God at all times and in all places. Look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Paul acknowledged this as well. Galatians chapter 1. And verse number 10, the Bible says, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Uh, 
a lot of people are men pleasers. They, they, they try to do what the people around them are going to find acceptable. Now, it's a good thing to surround yourself with people who, who, who love the Lord and do right and trying to please them. You're going to do the right things. But ultimately, we need to learn, learn to live for an audience of one. The, the, ultimately, the only thing that should matter to us is that the words of our mouth and meditation of our heart are acceptable in God's sight, our strength, our Redeemer, the Lord. Right? Our choices should not be dictated by the people that surround us. Our choices ought to be dictated by our desire to please the Lord. And Paul said, I can't please men and God, so I'm just going to choose one. And I'm going to please the Lord. So where the vain religion seems to be religious, pure religion is before God and the Father. It's about your private life. It's about not who you are at church. It's about who you are at home. Because who you are at home is the real you. Nobody, you are the Christian that you are when you go home this afternoon. You are the Christian that you are when you're at home or at school or at work throughout the week. You're the Christian you are when it's just you alone in your bedroom at night. That's the Christian that you are. That's the kind of religion that you have. Pure religion is before God and the Father. Point B, visits the fatherless and the widow. And these have a real tender place on God's heart. The fatherless mentioned 42 times in the Old Testament. Once in the New. The widow mentioned 42 times in the Old Testament. 13 times in the New. Why why does God single these out in this passage? Well, these are the people who can't pay you back. (laughs) These are the people that you serve not because of what they'll do for you in return, but you serve them just because it's a true expression of love and of sacrifice and of giving of one's self. These are the people who aren't going to score you any spirituality points. These are the situations that are actually going to require some level of you giving up something of yourself. You can't do this. You can't visit the fatherless and widow for what you get out of it. And I think that's the real key here. Because Christianity is following Jesus Christ And the example set by Jesus Christ is he laid down his life for us. What did he get out of that? He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to lift us up out of a horrible pit. Look, he didn't get anything out of that. We don't make a dent in returning the debt that we owe him. He stooped to condescend to us in our lost condition. And when he, when he really has an, an effect, an influence upon our lives, he'll fill our hearts with a desire to help, just to help people, just to be a blessing to people, especially the people who can't necessarily pay it back especially the situations where you're not necessarily going to get recognition. Visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. And then the final point, see and keep himself unspotted from the world. To keep himself unspotted from the world. Come to John 17. We studied this. 
two Sundays ago in the morning sermon, John 17. This is separation. This is sanctification. This is being clean and set apart and different. That's a marker of pure religion. John 17, verse 14. I, Christ, have given them, the disciples and those who believe on him through their word, I have given them my word, and the world hath hated them. Because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. So to keep himself unspotted from the world, it's not that he's not in the world. We're all in the world, and we have to be in the world, and we're going to rub shoulders with the world. You're going to have to go to school or a job or uh, at least the grocery store. You're going to be out in society somewhere. You can't be and shouldn't be isolated. This isn't a Christian hermit. So you're supposed to be in the world, but the world is not supposed to be in you. That's just a horn honking. In the world, not of the world. I pray not thou shouldest take them out of the world. Thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So this man with pure religion, he, he's out in the world. But the world's not in him. He's able to go out in the world and preach the gospel. But he doesn't become like the world in order to do it. He works in the world and does business in the world and and possibly even has friends in the world. That's okay. But he's unspotted. He doesn't allow the world to defile him. He's sanctified and separated and set apart and different on purpose by following the word of God. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 10. So it's possible to be spiritual without being separated. I'm sorry, it's possible to be separated without being spiritual. It's not possibly spiritual without being separated. Did I, make that, did I say that right? Did that makes sense? You can be separated and not have real religion. But you can't have pure religion if you're not separated. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. That's why we don't put a lot of stock in temporal things and earthly things and material things because there's an expiration date. The durability, a little economics lesson, the durability of goods, the durability of something, how long it is going to last. And the Bible speaks of durable riches. That is spiritual things. That is eternal things. Those are the things that we cannot see that will last forever. Everything in this world, in this life, is going to burn up. So let's not put all of our stock, all of our investment, all of our effort, all of our time into into those things. Verse 11, seeing then that all these things should be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting into the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. So uh, the world did not start with a big bang, but the world is going to end in a big bang. That's what 2 Peter 3 teaches. Verse 13, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things... Be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, here's here's the cross reference, without spot and blameless. 
Pure religion is when a man keeps himself unspotted from the world. As we look for the coming day of God and the return of Jesus Christ and a new heaven and a new earth and eternal things, what we need to do is make sure we don't get spotted. We keep our life clean. We stay pure. We set apart from all the filth that's out there in the world. And you need to be careful about that. You need to be aware of that. It is an important part of your walk with God. Pure religion is to live before God and the Father, to visit the fatherless widow, and keep himself unspotted from the world. So ask yourself this morning, these two verses, what kind of religion do you have? Do you have a vain religion or you have a pure religion? It's obvious which is better and which we ought to strive for. So let's pray that God would help us go in that direction. Lord, thank you so much for your word and the instruction that we have. God, thank you again for those that have gathered here this morning to hear it. Help us to receive it. Help us to believe it. Help us to act upon it. I pray, Lord, that our religion would not be in vain, that our faith would not be profitless, uh, but, God, it would, it would bless you and it would benefit and help others. And, uh, Lord, you'd, you'd help us to make it so. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.